Before we jump into our teaching text, just want to remind you once again that we're receiving communion together, and you've got a couple seconds here if you want to go grab something uh, to, to use as we receive it together. I've got mine. Uh, we are really celebrating the fact that we've moved away from what I call McUnion, the pop-top communions. So I'm taking one for the solid ground team and getting rid of one more of these. Uh, so you can grab whatever you want, uh, bread, crackers, some juice, and uh, at the end of our sermon time, we will receive communion together. So if you would please follow along with us and turn or navigate in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32, and I'm going to read verses 22 through 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man said to him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Then the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Please keep your fingers, uh, keep your place in the Bible. We're going to come back to that, and that's going to be the the structure for our talk today. Um, but Jacob was on this journey, and lately I've been fascinated with the journey down the Camino de Santiago in uh, in Spain, and it ends in Galicia. Because if you're from Spain, that's how you talk, Castellano. It's it's hard for my tongue. So for you Spanish speakers, I apologize uh, that um, for my poor pronunciation. But this. This trip down the Camino de Santiago uh, for a thousand years, the Christian pilgrims have flocked to this 500-mile walk. They'll fly from, from, from hundreds of miles away, thousands of miles away, spend 40 days to walk down this trail, which is not all the time, most of it is not a luxury trip. Not luxury sleeping conditions. I, I know it's beautiful, but they, they go for this experience that ends at the Cathedral de Santiago Compostela in Galicia. And it's the traditional site of where James' bones ended up. And they why do all of this? Like to go through this journey, it's uh, times on the trail like where you're alone and you're, you're far from, from like what we think of as civilization. You're just walking through nature. To go to the site, um, it's, it's very hard, but people do it. Uh, I've been following on Instagram this guy's journey, uh, it's, and it's so fascinating to see what he's learning about himself what uh, what he's experiencing and uh, and the stories I've heard of people who've hiked the whole thing or or just a little bit of it 
say they, they talk about how they're transformed by this pilgrimage. And um, other religions have pilgrimages too. They've picked up on this. But the metaphor of pilgrimage is uniquely Christian. This, this idea of being on this long journey. Uh, it's a lengthy process. Uh, a pilgrimage isn't a sprint but it's all also a holistic experience where, where yes, your, your physical body is engaged, but your emotions, your, your mind is engaged, and, and a lot of good stuff comes from pilgrimage. Uh, and it, it transforms us holistically, whether you're literally on a, on a pilgrimage like the Camino de Santiago or just on the pilgrimage of following Jesus. Some things are only true if you're willing to commit to them long-term. And following Jesus is not just a quick fix or a little patch on your life. Following Jesus is a transforming journey that transforms your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And uh, it reminds me of the Apostle Paul saying that we must go through hardships to enter into the kingdom of God. We certainly don't seek them out but it's a part of the journey. We're going to encounter bumps on the road. Life is going to throw a curveball at us and, and we go through it even though it's counterintuitive and it is uncomfortable. And those that want to gain wisdom and rest and revelation from God take part in following Jesus and being on this pilgrimage. And pilgrimage, uh, this image is echoed in our theme verse for, for this year, from Jeremiah chapter six, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. So we've been on this journey and talking about what it means uh, to follow Jesus uh, in our life, not on the literal road, but following the way of Jesus. It involves choosing challenge over comfort, it involves choosing truth over falsehood, and it involves choosing the path of God over what we've called the popular path. That, that following Jesus means we embrace the, the reality that we're counter to the culture. We're, we're on a counter-cultural path, and we treasure God's wisdom for the best way to be human. We treasure God's path above all else. And this ancient path isn't a blanket approval of everything that's old, and it's not an automatic rejection of all things new. Not all that is old is wisdom, and not all is progress just because it's new. So this path that we've been challenging ourselves to, to walk and, and examining our lives to see if, if we're really following the ancient path that God has set for us, this path is in contrast to what the theologian Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. And that's a, a following Jesus without discipleship. It's a, it's a following Jesus journey that, that doesn't pick up the cross. Uh, the ancient path is in contrast to nominal Christianity that just leverages Jesus for personal happiness or leverages Jesus for nationalistic triumphalism. Like this is, this is a way of being in the world. And there's a difference between uh, therapeutic churches and, and culture wars churches that I think in the years to come, we're going to see a difference of people who, 
who really embrace following the ancient path of following Jesus, heart, mind, body, soul, above all else. And so uh, we've been looking back uh, at, at the most ancient text that we have. And just as a refresher, because we're, we're building as we go on, on, on these ideas of what it means to, to follow God's path. And, and what does that mean for us in 2022? And we've learned that, that the first step is that God is God and we are not. Um, Proverbs 9.10 says, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And when we realize that, that, that our strength and, and truth, that comes from outside of us, we don't determine it. So God alone has the right to define what is right and wrong and true and untrue. And, and those confessions, they set us apart from the rest of culture. Like God wants to do something new with us. When we turn over control of our life to Jesus, we become what Jesus calls salt and light in the world. Like we're in the world, but there's a distance there. We're there to bless it and, and to point the way towards God. And this, this path of following God, it's marked with a growth mindset and being inquisitive and, and not being threatened uh, with learning and not being threatened by not having it all figured out and, and, and giving those, uh, those doubts to God and, and, and asking God the, the questions and, and, and the humility that comes with turning over control of all of the outcomes in our life to God. So that's a refresher of where we've been. And today we find ourselves in this interesting and sometimes weird text of Genesis chapter 32. And uh, we, we come to this passage and it reminds me that the longer that, that, that we walk with Jesus, there is more awareness of who God is and what God is like. And at the same time, as you journey through life with God, we have these moments where we encounter God and sometimes they're painful because we're encountering things in our life that, that we don't like to think about. It's uncomfortable. Um, so I'd like for us to think about this in light of this passage as, as like one circle. In the first circle, it's the core of your being. And the longer you follow God, the, the more you don't just read the text and the scriptures, it starts to read you. And God starts to speak to the core of who you are and, and what's in there. And this is the, the, your interior life, the wounds that are there, the insecurities that are there, your, your personality and your wiring. All of a sudden, God starts to put his finger on things. It's called the first circle existence where you examine your deeply held beliefs and secret longings, and God starts to poke at things and say, uh, and I picture God with a big smile on his face, I'm about to mess with you. <laughs> let, let me show you. Let me make an adjustment here. Um, these are things that, um, you know, I've used the circle, like these are the, the inner circle of your life, and it's very personal and private. These are the kinds of things that if you sat down to coffee with someone, and, uh, and they're the kind of person that's really insightful and started asking you questions like, when did it happen? Or, why are you like this? And kept, when I started thinking through these questions, if, uh, if someone started asking me those, it, it, it's not a far cry to think I might be in the corner in the fetal position crying. <laughs> when did it happen? Why am, I, why am I like this? 
Those questions make us squirm. This first circle is often under the surface and unknown uh, or underknown. And dealing with these things, wounds, insecurities, traumas, it can be unsettling. And it's natural for us to avoid things that make us uncomfortable because we're human. The problem is these, prob- these, these wounds and, and scars don't just stay in your inner circle, in that first circle. They go out into the second circle, into our relationships. This is in that second circle. That's where the stuff that's in your first circle is expressed. Uh, and this is why Proverbs, again, uh, exhorts us in chapter 4 to, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So often when we avoid or we're unaware of our first circle issues, they spill out and our unresolved pain gets passed on to the people in our second circle, the people we work with, our family, uh, and often our parents. it affects them, but parents, it affects our kids. These unresolved issues, they often, becomes, they often become the issues of our children. Addiction, anxiety, failure to address conflict, issues with authority. And don't get me wrong, we can inherit really good things from our families, but we also inherit the baggage too. So before we Uh, go any further, I just want to give a little disclaimer. We're talking about deep inner wounds and and healing. So I want you to know we're not going to rush into dealing with all of your first circle issues today. Uh, Don't think you have to fix yourself in just this time or that somehow you just need to have like a a magic zap and all of these things are gone. Like these things take time. I, I, I feel like especially when it comes to a deep unresolved trauma in your in our hearts, It seems like these are the kinds of things we need to handle with care. Like they're radioactive. These things require uh, a feeling of safety to deal with, skill sometimes, and training, and care. What I want to do today is point out this journey of how God dealt with Jacob's inner circle wounds and his inner circle deeply held beliefs. And, And point out how in Jacob's story, there's this unique time in his life where God sensed the ripeness of Jacob's heart to deal with all of this funk underneath the surface. So uh, before this, just a refresher, if you're not familiar with Jacob's story, he's a descendant of Abraham. And, and actually Abraham was his grandpa. And when Jacob was born, the text says that he was grabbing on to his twin brother's ankle and his foot when he came out of the womb. Like he was born a fighter and a scrapper. I, I get the image of, of those kids. And, and a lot of us are like this. When you were in kindergarten or first grade and you're in line and someone tries to cut you, like you put your arm out and you say, uh, no butts, no cuts, no coconuts or whatever, whatever silly kindergarten things we say. Like that was how Jacob was wired to the extreme, fighting for first in line, grabbing onto his brother's foot, manipulative, driven. Jacob was bent towards mistrust of, uh, at, at the core of his being, like mistrust in God, that there's not enough out there for everybody. There's not enough love or, or, or um, material possessions. That was his natural bent. And it drove him to take advantage of his brother's hunger 
Uh, Jacob manipulated his starving brother Esau out of his birthright. Jacob lied and deceived his father. Uh, and Jacob, as, as he went through life, he just had a tendency, we see, to assume that other people will betray him. And the thing is, as I've been going through this, I'm realizing it's right in front of my face. This tendency didn't come out of thin air. I mentioned Jacob's grandpa was Abraham, but we've, we've talked about Jacob's grandma, Sarah. She took a, speed, a shortcut to speed up God's plan and she didn't trust that God would bless her because God is good. Like she, she was already scheming. Jacob's mom, his mom, Rebecca, actually coached her son on how to cheat his brother and lie to his father. Like God was totally faithful to this family tree. We're talking about the, the patriarchs of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But up to this point in the text, God's light had not come into all the dark corners of this family tree. Like Jacob uh, stole the blessing from, from his brother and, and, and got the blessing from his dad and had to split and get out of town. Like he stole the loot, he got all the stuff and, and he runs away. And Jacob stops at this uh, place called Bethel and he falls asleep on a rock and has this amazing encounter with God. Uh, and realizes God was here and I didn't even know it and continues his journey and comes across uh, his family member, Laban. And Jacob falls in love with one of Laban's daughters and says, hey, I want to marry her. And long story short, Jacob, in a, in a cruel trick, gets tricked out of 14 years of labor uh, by, by his family member. So obviously Laban had some unresolved trust issues. And Jacob continues after 14 years, marries two of Laban's daughters and uh, lives and work for Laban. And guess what? Jacob prospers. He gets rich. He grows in power and influence. And after several decades, he makes plans to go back home. And even now in this text that we read today, he's planning to scrap his way home. He's planning to butter up his older brother butter up his brother that he, he cheated and swindled out of the family inheritance. So he sends all of these gifts, sends waves and waves of gifts of uh, treasures and livestock and family members. And the whole plan we find in this moment, the whole plan is going to be enacted in the morning. I've buttered up my brother. I'll go over tomorrow. And we find him here at Bethel and he's alone and he's vulnerable. Isn't that part of a lot of our stories? Like that family wounds really level the playing field? We can have so much confidence at work, or maybe you experienced this if you went off to college and you, you came home for the first break, and all of a sudden you're, you're back at the kids' table again, or having the same discussions with your siblings that you had when you were kids and same, same squabbles. Like this is where Jacob is at. Like he's gone off and he's become a big deal, but now he's coming home and all of it's coming back. He's vulnerable. These core issues that he's the youngest, he's the scrapper, that he's got to fight for everything he's get, he gets. And he's somehow aware of God's activity. This is where God met him, one of the darkest moments of his, of his story. And he's aware that, that he's on holy ground. And all of his weaknesses are exposed. And his heart at this moment is ripe 
for God to act. At this moment, God decides to deal with Jacob and put his, God's finger on Jacob's core first circle issues. But let's look at how God does it. You know, when I picture, and the way I prefer God to deal with my core issues is Jesus coming up with a bunch of lambs and, and putting his arm around me. But with Jacob and the way Jacob was wired, God's coming to kick his teeth in because God speaks Jacob's language. God didn't approach Jacob's grandfather like that, didn't approach Isaac like that, because Abraham had different core issues. Abraham wanted to be a father and, and was clinging to this promise, and God would come aside, uh, alongside of Abraham saying, I will give you, I, I'll meet you right where you are, and I, I will come through for you. Um, Isaac, uh, Jacob's father, needed something else, needed constant reminders, I will be with you. I will be with you, but Jacob, he's wired differently. He needed something else. I love, uh, there's an old song that I used to listen to when I was a teenager. Uh, there's a lyric in there that says, surrender don't come natural to me. I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than take what you give that I need. So here we are in this odd text with Jacob, the taker. And somehow he's wrestling with God and the texts tell us that he's, he's kind of winning. So obviously, because God needs to speak Jacob's language, he's limiting his power a little bit and, and letting Jacob get out all of this angst. I mean, at this time, it had been decades and decades of, of all this. And he's, he's to the point of exhaustion. And God uh, is limiting his power. And I get the image, uh, another reference from my childhood. I love the movie... Um, the Princess Bride, and there's a, a point where um, uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts is wrestling the big giant, and it's Andre the Giant. It's classic 80s stuff. And the guy's like, are you taking it easy on me? And the giant says, oh, I just want you to feel like you're doing a good job. Like, that's what's going on here. J Jacob is exhausted, and at this point, he's, he's, he's spent all of his energy, all of his scrapping, and he gets a new name, Israel, the one who wrestles with God. But then at the climax of the fight, God wrenches Jacob's hip out of socket as a way of saying, I'm in charge. Like I can squash you. I choose not to. I came for a different reason. So not only does Jacob get his name as a blessing, but Jacob gets a limp as a blessing. And for those of us with access to the internet in 2022, that causes our gears to grind some. Like, wait, a limp? That's a blessing? God gave Jacob a limp to combat his sense of inflated self. God approached Jacob with what theologians call severe mercy. Like, it was good for Jacob to like work this angst out with God. And, and he, he hears from God and gets a new name. And I love, if, as you continue on to the next chapter in the story, Esau's response, what an incredible, what an incredible foil for Jacob. Esau's response, when Jacob finally comes, they embrace and Esau's like, what's the deal with all these gifts? Keep what you have. I have plenty. Like, just from a, like, 
I love the story because you're thinking now is the time where Jacob gets everything he deserves. And Esau is probably have just been brooding for decades and years and years and just socks him. But no, he's fine. He's fine. Keep what you have, brother. I have plenty. Jacob spent his whole life operating from a scarcity mindset. And at this moment, he's learning that there's enough. There's enough for him and enough for his brother. And for all of Jacob's fighting and scheming with his relationships, he really needed to fight it out with God. And that's how how so many of us operate in our life. We pour all of our energy into fixing these secondary issues and these secondary circle stuff with other people and our environment and our life situation when the whole time we needed to be fighting it out with God and letting God, giving God complete access to do whatever needs to be done in our own internal life. And to go through a struggle with God before we work it out with others, this can provide amazing resources of strength and blessing uh, for, for whatever life brings uh, our way. So when we let God apprehending us and possibly even wounding us so we can be healed, it may just liberate us to live the life of greater freedom. Uh, there's a, a movie called Goodwill Hunting where uh, Matt Damon plays a character that, that has done some, some violent acts and needs to go to counseling. And after going through a bunch of counselors, he gets to uh, Robin Williams, who is playing the counselor. And Robin Williams just lets, lets Matt Damon, his character, just uh, emote and emote and evade. And, and, and Robin Williams' character is strong. And he waits till just the right moment, until Matt Damon's heart is just ripe enough And he says this famous line, it's not your fault. The wounds you have in your heart, these deep things that you you keep hidden from other people and most of the time you keep from yourself, it's not your fault. And as a counselee, the character's like, no, stop it, don't go there. Have you ever had that experience with someone? They they start to get in into your life a little bit and you're like, no, don't, don't even go there. But this character needed to hear it over and over again. It's not your fault. And finally, he just breaks down. And they have this beautiful moment where finally light was shown on this dark part of his heart. And he was experiencing healing for the first time. So there is a moment for God to deal with us in this first circle of of woundedness. And there's that moment where God... Uh, we'll deal with that. And we talk about this in recovery. Like there's this U curve when it comes to getting healing from trauma. Like in the presence of people who know God and in safety and uh, you, you relive and you tell your story and other people go to that low place with you so that you can come back up and, and, and emerge from that and leave it behind and, and, and start to walk in freedom. So it's, it's relieving to find that kind of, kind of healing. And that's where this text has challenged me this week. Like, I was thinking, what are my first circle issues? God, what are you doing? Uh-oh. Oh, no, I need to fight it out with you, God. Oh, man, this wasn't just for them? Come on. <laughs> like, so uh, today, just as we start to edge into that 
inner circle of your life, that first circle. What's going on in that first circle? What's beginning to bubble up in your heart? Are you wired to trust others or are you wired to mistrust others? These are just some questions for you to ask yourself, maybe journal through. Why are you wired to trust others or mistrust others? Like what hurts or fears or longings are in the deepest part of your heart? Like what wounds, as we've been talking, what wounds of the generations that came before you did you inherit? Have you given God access to those? Have you let God into those parts to to begin bringing healing to you? Are you wired for action or inaction? Why? Uh, Do you believe that God is present with you even if you don't feel it all the time? Or, Or are you just somehow feeling like God is absent from your life? Like, why is that? If we could peer into your heart today, what would we see? And a a big question for us that we can deal with today. Have you ever let God have security clearance to get to that part of you? If If you're here, there's some level of your heart where you've given superficial consultation rights to Jesus. Like you can come in and consult. You can come in and look at this. Like when you have company over, just don't check that closet. Don't go upstairs and don't look under the bed. But have you given Jesus access to all the rooms of your heart, all levels of your heart? Have you ever let God or anyone else close enough to hurt you? It's scary, but maybe they're close enough so that God can use them to heal you. Have you ever let God in close enough so God can heal you? And maybe right now, I want to be absolutely clear, clear. It may not be just the right time. Because in this text, we know that Jacob had years and years and decades of preparation to get to this moment of ripeness. But if you are resolved to follow Jesus down the ancient path as a pilgrim, like part of this pilgrimage is encountering the severe mercy of God, where God can go into the most broken parts. You can see it, you can name it, you can surrender, and then experience God putting you back together. What we do here, I'm feeling stronger and stronger the more time we spend together. This isn't just about knowing more about Jesus and filling our heads with facts. Like our, Our responsibility as we walk down this path is to know Jesus and know Jesus for, for who he is and experience Jesus, but also know ourselves and say, okay, it's time. I'm, I'm not going to walk around with this wound anymore. Jesus, I'm giving this to you. Please begin putting me back together. And to realize that when God confronts you with these things and say, no more, God's not coming to tease you or to torture you. Jesus is moving towards you even now in this moment to heal you and me. And there's this temptation to draw back just like a little kid with a splinter in their finger. It hurts to take it out. And it's a natural, no, don't touch it. But oh my goodness, God, a father unlike any we've ever known is moving towards us. And and through the Holy Spirit, our invitation is to lean in and to say, okay, do what you will. And this encounter with God may leave some of us with a limp, but that's the kind of wound that can give us wisdom. And today, I love how this works out, that we're celebrating communion today. This cup 
And this bread reminds us that the Son of Man bears wounds on his body, evidence of the severe mercy of God that Jesus went to the most extreme lengths so that we have access to healing and salvation now and forever. He was bruised and pierced and battered for us. And by his wounds, we are healed. So today, I want to invite you to to pick up these elements and to, to feel them in your hands. And as we receive communion together, that, that, that it's an act of not only remembering Jesus and proclaiming his death and using our, all of our senses to enter into this mystery of grace and forgiveness, but to, say that, to realize that, that we're not alone in our woundedness. <laughs> we're, not, we're not the only ones that feel bruised and battered, that we have Jesus and we have access to Jesus right now. So as we remember this, just want to invite you to continue to hold the hand, smell the juice. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you access uh, to every part of our life. And even as as we we eat this bread and drink this cup, Please point out to us even unknown parts of our hearts right now and, and, and pull the anxiety out of this for us as only you can do um, and give us the strength and the courage to, to let you have full access to our minds, our hearts, our bodies, and our relationships. In Jesus' name, let's take these together. I love that there's no distance in prayer. So no matter where you're watching from, thank you for joining us and, and, and being with us today. And if we talked about anything today that, that you're like, ooh, this is big, I, I need, this is bigger than me, I need some help, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at sgbic.com. I know this stuff can be heavy, but um, this is part of the journey and there is healing on the other end, my friends. And we love to journey with you. It's such a privilege. So again, sgbic.com. You can reach us every day of the week there. And until we're together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may you be aware of God's healing presence in your life. May you sense God turning his face towards you and smiling at you. And may God give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.